1: Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King, and as always, my friends Micah and Sam are on the line this morning. How are you guys today? I'm good, man. uh, You've got a little cold, right? Or allergies or something? I do. I do. Either that or I just went through puberty. Either way. <laughs> you are kind of a young looking dude. I know. I'm kind of hoping for the second. I've yeah. been waiting for a while. 36. Wait a minute. I
2: was going to say, do you really want to go through puberty again?
1: That is not I would just different. like my voice to drop. Sound well. like a man. What's up, Sam? Have you been eating your breakfast? Your Cheerios?
3: No, well, I eat. Okay. So every morning I eat two granola bars. Two mm. chewy, uh, Quaker chewy chocolate, chocolate chip, chip granola bars. Oh, they're that, so good. That's every single morning. And then for lunch, I have carrots and dates. Oatmeal and um, bananas and an apple.
1: This is only slightly more interesting than Tiger Woods playing golf to me. Oh,
3: (laughs) to
2: say not at all. Josh King. He doesn't like baseball. He doesn't like Mm -mm. the incredible story of Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Do not care. So we're recording this the day after Palm Sunday, the day that, you know, Tiger won that. The day that my
1: Twitter feed turned into the golf network in which people who never talk about golf all of a sudden cared about it.
3: okay, okay. Here's the thing. Listen, Mm -hmm. guys. I know nothing about golf. I didn't even know the Masters was going on. I didn't know Tiger Woods oh, was in it. You guys but, are killing me. But here's the thing: after I, after I saw the story, it's a great story. All right, fun, don't be a hater. Phenomenal story. It don't be a hater. He came We're back. Just, it's like it's in a, two
1: seconds, sum it up. Like he he's you know the big scandal broke, so he did. Yeah, win but forget for the scandal. I mean, the won. scandal
2: was not bad. The scandal was bad, but it, multiple back surgeries. I mean, literally had to scratch himself from tournaments year after year because he was physically unable to compete. He went. Mm. um what was it 14 years between winning the masters he's one of only two people in history now to have won the masters in three separate decades uh-huh. which is unbelievable if he were to win two years from now he'd be the first person ever to win the masters in four separate decades i believe i think that's wow right. yeah, yeah that's I mean, pretty cool
3: remarkable. that's all i'm saying that's i don't a really know a really thing cool about story. golf i really don't i really don't care about tiger woods but i think it's a great story i yeah. think it, i mean like if you're into golf i think it's cool if you're not it doesn't i think even, you, you just don't even have
2: bandwagoning. To Oh my gosh! You just like
3: redemption stories. You don't have to be in a golf game. And, and you, know, you know who needs a redemption story is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oh my goodness!
2: Oh, I heard about. I don't even like. I don't hockey, even know what I Lightning. Heard about what is that. Lightning? Is that a golf
1: person too? Oh my gosh!
3: <laughs> <laughs> the Lightning are down three to no, three nothing, and it's uh, yeah, first round. With the, it's bad. With the they, best record in the regular season. Yeah, one of the best teams ever assembled in Wait, hockey. What West sport regular. is this? Josh, you just go take your medicine. Um, gonna, go I'm take gonna some Google cough syrup. And- <laughs> Josh is crankier than usual
1: today. Is it football? His- no, I don't care. Okay. All right. We got to so, jump on to our, our, our speaking
2: our, of the disaster of the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a segue? Yeah, All there right. you go. We on. have a guest today on the podcast with us. We are so glad to have Dr. Jamie Aiton with us. Uh, Jamie is a fantastic guy. I got to know him a few years ago. He is the associate professor of humanitarian disaster leadership at Wheaton College he uh, chairs, a uh, chair of humanitarian disaster leadership. He's the execu- uh, executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Those are fascinating titles. Basically, I want disaster in my title. <laughs> I think all H- pastors you- should have disaster in their title. Jamie, how did point. you pull
0: that off? We
2: have disaster in our <laughs> resumes.
0: Well, the way I pulled that off was my, uh, my golf game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Man, I'm so fascinated. Tell me more. So, here's the thing about Jamie. Let me say this before Jamie jumps in. So, Jamie has a brand new book out called A Walking Disaster, which if you're going to write a book, what a great title to a book, A Walking Disaster. Jamie talks about disasters, but it's because he lived through it. So, Jamie lived through Hurricane Katrina and then shortly after found out he had stage four cancer. And now has been, what, Jamie, five plus years cancer-free? Uh, I think almost,
0: almost five years. Congratulations. So, five least, years? Yeah. Yeah. so feel yeah. really blessed. Hey, I did read
1: an article in Facts and Trends in which you mentioned South Mississippi. Where did you live there?
0: uh, Hattiesburg. Sweet.
1: I um, spent all my childhood in Gulfport.
0: Oh, well, you know, I did tons of work. I spent about two days a week between Gulfport, Bloxy and New Orleans, the five years I was down there. I love it. I love it. So tell us more about... Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about...
2: about, Yeah, I was going to say, Jamie, so we wanted to talk to you specifically because you have this article in Facts and Trends about six ways to lead people through crisis. And I love this because crisis for you is not an academic exercise. You've lived it, right? So you know what it's like to walk through both the crisis of losing your home and then the danger of potentially losing your health. So you kind of walk us through in this article sort of six ways to lead our people through crisis. And the truth of the matter is we joked about it a second ago. Pastors... I feel like are just jumping from one crisis to another. Some are sort of mini crises, some are huge crises. But often, I don't know about Sam or Josh. I don't know that anybody ever trained me in how to manage, you know, crisis management or how to how to help people walk through sort of crisis experiences. Sam, Josh, have you guys had any formal training in sort of leading people through crisis? Only, only
3: the school of hard knocks, man. Yeah, nobody yeah. ever gave me that kind of training.
2: Yeah, so, I did Jamie, have
1: a couple of um, experiences read some books and things on how to, um, spend things, you know, like, uh, control <laughs> narrative. So yeah, that's that helped a lot with social with. media.
2: <laughs> so Jamie, talk to us. You, you've got an audience of pastors and church leaders who lead people in established churches. They're going to deal with crises. some of them are small. Some of them are significant. What would your counsel be as, as if you're sort of just trying to throw out some ideas to help them? What would you say to them? Well, you know, one of the things I'd really recommend is to
0: start probably with another topic that I've found very few pastors have had formal training in, but really focusing on self care. You know, whenever a crisis strikes, you know, it's going to be the pastor where everybody's turning. And we found that time and time again. We did research after Katrina and asked people, where did you turn to first? And outside of family and friends, it was their pastor in local churches. And oftentimes, what happens is that then pastors start to get really burned out or they're helping so much in the beginning that they forget to care for themselves and aren't available to effectively lead through crisis in the long term.
2: yeah, that makes sense to me um I, I think one of the things that those who are pastors understand, Sam and Josh, we know this like pastoring is both require if you're going to do it well and, and let's be honest, there are some folks who don't do it well, but if you're going to do it well, it's going to require long hours and it's an incredibly stressful job. I mean, one of the things I say to young young you know young men and women who are kind of coming up in ministry and they're going to help lead and serve in churches is look, we don't I mean, we tell the stories from the platform of all the successes, but 90% of our time is with broken people who are dealing with trauma or pain or difficult questions and so it just it's it's stressful. It weighs on you and then of course you're navigating people who are upset or have different you know, would prefer to make different decisions than maybe church leadership makes. And so it can deplete you. I mean, it can drain you really quickly. Jamie, how would you recommend pastors go about kind of thinking through self-care? Like, what are some things they should be doing? Yeah, I I was just about to ask that same thing.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we actually did a study after a major disaster where I interviewed a number of clergy to find out how they coped with going through this disaster and leading their church. And one of the things that really stood out to me was how important it was to still try to have a sense of kind of a normal rhythm or routine in this chaotic time, you know, to have some sense of normalcy in this abnormal situation. So kind of the things that you are doing on a regular basis that you find helpful, unfortunately, when a crisis strikes, we tend to throw those things out the door. But that's actually when we need to make those habits, those spiritual disciplines, you know, really the foundation of our days.
2: Well, and you mentioned in that article, when you're talking about so, – uh, this is kind of extrapolating out from self-care, but you talk about in that article, one of the things you said when you kind of give these six ways to lead people through crisis is to establish new life rhythms. And you talked about how in your own life, like going through cancer, you, you realized, I'm going to have to find some new rhythms. So the rhythms are important, but sometimes those have to be modified, right, based on the crisis you're walking through.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, the way I kind of think about it, you know, when some people talk about self-care, they talk about having a balanced life. And I'm not sure anyone truly lives a fully balanced life. And then, in fact, then people start feeling guilty and, you know, it just makes things even more challenging. So I like to think of it more as kind of like surfing, that there's going to be times that you're riding the wave of busyness. It's going to be intense. But good self-care means, you know, when to get off the board and, you know, maybe even get out of the water for a while.
2: You have no idea how happy you just made me, Jamie, <laughs> because we've literally had this conversation with these guys and I've told them I'm not a big fan of balance in life. I'm a big fan of rhythms. And so literally, I feel like you're speaking the same language as me. But I think oftentimes people don't understand that. And so they constantly chase this, you know, false idea of perfectly balanced lives. And it does. It just adds to their stress rather than helping them understand that that's not how life works. No, oh, Absolutely.
1: Now that now that a doctor agreed with Micah, I I, I agree with Micah. I believe what he said. <laughs> I didn't have any. I, I I totally didn't trust him before. I'm curious. This is when, normal
2: for Josh and me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he likes baseball. When um when you looked at disaster and managing disasters, and so, were there other factors besides self care at, at all that seemed to equip us better? Like I'm I'm sort of curious, and maybe y'all didn't look at this at all, but I'm curious if, like, church polity, were, were there different – were churches better set up to handle disaster in any noticeable way? Or was it just kind of based on the individual churches and the pastors?
0: no it's it's really about the whole church and if that church is also maybe connected to a denomination you know the health of that denomination you know right. one of the things that people often say after a major disaster is, oh we had no idea that you know problem a b and c was happening in our community mm. when in reality like those things that we see on the news when maybe there are tensions between different groups in a community or maybe it puts a spotlight on trafficking or poverty in a community after a disaster. Those aren't things that just happened. Those are things that have been there, but the the disaster put a spotlight on it. And, I think of the same things within, you know, who we are, if we're a pastor within our church leadership, if it's within the denomination or the congregation, even that any of those things that are both healthy or unhealthy, there's going to be a spotlight and tension put on them and bring them to the surface. So the more that we can do to have a healthy congregation and leadership team and that leadership team is so key because when a disaster strikes, you know you you will have been to seminary to learn to do things like how to you know interpret scripture, how to preach, how to lead. But there's all these other new things you're going to have to take on, like managing volunteers. How do we take in donations? How do we do a needs assessment of the people that have unmet needs? And you're going to need to find other people to bring along around you to help manage those other pieces so that you don't get burned out. Yeah, is- I learned
3: how to use a chainsaw really well after the hurricane hit us. <laughs> oh, absolutely.
0: Chainsaw um, evangelism. It is effective.
3: Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, See, yeah, that, that sounds really like a is. horror movie. Um, <laughs> and... And, you know, I've got this like mental image of some gospel tracks with the chainsaw on it and you know, like this bloody massacre. But anyway, I, that, that's probably too macabre and morbid to talk about on our podcast. <laughs> that's a good,
0: good word. Well, see, the um, the, the way I was wow. thinking about it was, uh, you know, when we do meet those tangible needs, we are sharing the love of Christ with others. But yours may get more traction.
3: Could be. I mean. Yeah, could be. No, I mean, and we we got hit by Hurricane Irma. Um, and it was it was very difficult um, being a pastor, you know, because the church is scattered. Um, powers out for two weeks. Um, you know, people need medicine. Then you know, we've got people driving around getting refri- uh, generators for refrigerators to keep medicine cold. I mean, it it got. I mean, ga- there's no gas. There's absolutely no gas because all the powers out. You can't get gas. I mean, it's you know we didn't get hit like Katrina or even Hurricane Michael up in the Panhandle, but Irma was it was a big deal for us. I mean it. You know, it, it was hard. It was extraordinarily hard
2: and very stressful. And, you know, I feel like I lost a few years of my
3: life after well, sure. leaving the
2: church through that. So let me, let, I'm, Jamie, I'm curious if I can ask you kind of a more personal question about thinking through disaster. I mean, you you obviously you, you dealt with Katrina. You did research. You lived with it. Um, and some of our pastors are going to deal with with disasters on that magnitude. But you personally dealt with cancer. And probably every pastor and church leader who's listening to this podcast deals with that on a monthly basis, maybe even more so. I mean, I was yesterday in hospice with a a man in our church who's a sweet man who is probably not going to last much longer because of cancer devastating his body. How did the church around you, when you walked through that personal disaster, in what ways did they care for you well, or in what ways do you wish they'd have cared for you better? Mm. Well,
0: great question, Micah. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me from my cancer experience was just how important that church community is to helping those that are going through their own personal disaster, right? Like cancer in this case. And our community really just walked alongside us in every way. You know, it was hearing what were the needs that we had, everything from taking me to radiation five days a week, to taking me to chemo, to taking out my kids to have ice cream, walking the dog if we were going to be gone all day at treatments or a surgery, you know, that they just really asked us about what is it you need. And that was so helpful. And where it got unhelpful was when people responded, like I see sometimes after disasters as a SUV, which we call a spontaneous unaffiliated volunteer. You know, these are the folks that just kind of pop up out of nowhere and they think they know what you need without ever asking. And those were the times that were typically more difficult because the help that was coming in those cases didn't always match the need that we had. So when you you talk about
1: um, being prepared and the church leadership being prepared for these sort of things, I wonder both on the the big scale thing when there's things like hurricanes or, or fires or something, and then also when people are dealing with cancer, have you seen churches, smaller churches, effectively kind of rally together and pre-plan or pre-prepare for those sort of things, um, carrying different sides of the burden. Have you seen that effectively work anywhere?
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I just got back from Alaska um, last week, and I was there... You know, there was the earthquake that happened at the end of November, I think it was like November 28th, mm-hmm. but then they've had around, you know, seriously, they've had like thousands of aftershocks, some at a magnitude of between three and five. So, you know, people are just getting triggered with trauma over and over again. And while I was there, I was really impressed by the way some of the local churches had come together and the preparedness that they had put into place. Because back in the 60s, there had been a massive earthquake, one of the worst ever in the US recorded. And they took a lot of steps toward, you know, like the physical rebuilding of buildings to be more strong. But the churches started really thinking about how do we get ready? What are the relationships? Who are the people we need to know, mm-hmm. especially in a in an area where there's so few resources. And so by the fact that they had come together and kind of created a hub of networking, that just went so far. You know, oftentimes, you know, we, we want to have a plan in place, but the people around the plan is what's the most important.
2: Yeah, so if I, I want to run back, Jamie, a little bit more to when you were talking about how the church rallied around you and the SUVs that you mentioned, which I think is a fantastic acronym. I'd never heard that before. Um, you said one of the things that they were able to do was to do the things you said, these are the needs we have. And so they came along, walked your dog, took your kids out for ice cream. How hard was it for you as you were walking through that to ask for help? Oh, man, that that was one of the hardest things
0: for me because you know a big part of who I am and, and even my identity um, is about being the helper, right? Like when there's a major disaster, just like Alaska, like I'm the person that goes in to help in those situations. Right. Yeah. And here I am the, now being the helpy. And actually early on, uh, kind of a really important moment was I, I was really struggling. I was going through radiation. I was doing oral chemo twice a day at that point and just really beaten down. And, um, I, I remember, uh, talking to my, my spouse and about, uh, you know, what I needed help with. And she's like, Oh, you can't keep driving. Like, you need somebody to start. And I'm like, I'm totally fine. And then, like, I ran right into the wall. You know, like I lost my balance because of the medicine. But then, um, shortly after that, my college president, uh, Dr. Phil Reichen, came to my home to ask if he could pray for me. And one of the things he asked was, Is there anything in particular that I'm struggling with? And that was the need that identified. And he reminded me, though, that we're all the kind of people that need help. And that was so crucial for me to remember.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Jamie. The, the truth of the matter is, I mean, we're not all going to necessarily deal with stage four cancer. We're not all going to deal with Hurricane Katrina. But all of us are going to be in need of help from time to time, whether you're the pastor of the biggest church in the country or the person who sits in the back of the room that nobody knows you're there. We're all going to need help. But it's, I, I think... Finding this, you know, this authentic sort of church community where we can be vulnerable with each other and honest with each other, is almost—it seems almost impossible at times for us. But somehow, as leaders, we've got to begin and continue working, sort of the, the cultivation of that kind of community, if we're going to be able to thrive and survive in the midst of pain, whether it's minimal pain or whether it's a massive, large scale hurricane like Sam had to deal with, or my dad actually just drove back on Saturday from the uh, Nebraska, o- o- Omaha, Nebraska area mm. with flood relief, you know, dealing with the floods that they've dealt with there. And, uh, and I think this, this, what you've gotten at this idea of this close knit community where we can be honest and vulnerable with uh, is sort of a necessary staple to surviving those difficult things. So, so talk to us a little bit more about some other things that you would coach or, or encourage pastors and church leaders when it comes to helping lead people through crisis. You know,
0: I think another major issue is to to be an authentic model of going through the recovery process, because the things that you say, the way that you're responding up front on Sunday morning or in your community is going to have a trickle down effect on the way the rest of the church is going to respond. So if you're able to share that, hey, I'm struggling, too, or I'm not even sure what to say in this moment, we need those moments from our pastors just to be real so that we can see that we're not alone in our struggles. But we also need you to share with us a redeemed hope to know that this brokenness, you know, that God is going to redeem it, uh, be it this life or the next.
2: that's, That's encouraging to me, Jamie. And I think it's probably a really wise recommendation just across the board when it comes to preaching That we, you know, that good preaching is done from those of us who are honest in the in the pulpit. Right. It's done really well when we're genuine and honest with our people about what we're walking through. Well, you, you said something in your article that was really helpful to me. It's a good distinction. You said, be optimistic as you walk through tragedy, but more importantly, be hopeful help us to understand the dichotomy between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, you know,
0: the way that I'm wired, you know, I, I've actually had some friends joke with me that I'm pathologically optimistic, that I'm always looking, you know, for the good in situations, which I, I think is a good thing. You know, it actually helps me do this work because, you know, my average day is sitting around thinking about the worst things that could happen to someone. So it's good to have optimism and, you know, that's connected to all kinds of good outcomes. But it can come to a point where it can actually be dangerous. You know, like, for example, I remember when I first told my parents about my cancer diagnosis, I shortly after breaking the news said, well, at least we caught it early. And then I realized, no, 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 we did not. You know, like, this is really serious. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. The doctors told me that if there's anybody I want to see or things I want to do, now's the time. But I wanted to put that cherry on top and make everything okay. And that could have really hurt my relationships. You know, it could have hurt me by not facing the reality of how bad things were. So we need to have healthy optimism. But then the difference for hope, and I think especially as Christians, in fact, you know, I used the word redeemed hope. And uh, that came from just this past Sunday. One of my uh, pastors, Aubrey Sampson, uh, was sharing a message and had used that language that really captured, I think, what you're talking about here, Micah, which which is that there's like the small H hope, you know, that we can hope things will get better. But as Christians, we can have capital H hope that we can trust God, that he will redeem our pain. And even if it's not in this life,
2: that's really encouraging. I think especially if there's somebody listening right now who is walking through some sort of difficulty or tragedy, they probably need to hear that. And I think a follow up to that, you talk about giving people permission to, to lament Mm. And uh, I'm I'm like you, Jamie, I'm a I'm a just a relentless optimist. I mean, I'm never my expectations are never exceeded because they're always just like super sky high. And so um, it's hard for me, I think, to lament. And it's hard for me to even preach to my people about why it's OK to practice lament. And yet it's so profoundly clear in the scripture that lament is a part of the Christian experience. How do you help pastors both understand and then lead their people through lament?
0: Good question. And, you know, lament is one of those things that, like yourself, I've really struggled and didn't really fully understand, you know, what that fully encompassed. And in some ways, I think um, I kind of had a misunderstanding of lament in my Christian walk that before cancer, I oftentimes thought of it as almost like complaining or being upset about something. But what I realized is lament is really just being authentic with others and being authentic with God that, you know, showing these pains and these wounds. And when I felt that kind of nurture from lament, it was the moments when I really didn't know what else to say, but just brought that hurt to God and let him hold that hurt. And that was such a
2: remarkable kind of turning point in my journey. So one of the things that church life is always known for is not just, um, you know not walking not just walking through these things in a, in a good way, but often walking through situations like this in an unhealthy way right there's the real we've all got horror stories of bad things that have happened in churches and they talk to us about some of the unhealthy and unhelpful responses that you've seen happen from Christians as they're walking through, whether it's cancer or Katrina or whatever else that they might have been walking through. What are some examples of maybe unhealthy, unhelpful ways to walk through stuff like this?
0: Well, um, do any of your churches have a gossip chain? I mean a prayer chain mm. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so I, I know your three churches would not. But mm-hmm. you know that there are, you know, I've seen examples like in some of the congregations I've been a part, where for the most part, it's super healthy. But then sometimes there'll be that person who's praying to maybe actually kind of gossip or share news rather than actually offering a truthful prayer. So we need to make sure that our motives are in the right place. And and one of the things that I've seen with unhelpful uh, helping, you know, like after Katrina, I remember this one group uh, church raised $60,000 and filled a, an entire semi uh, back load and had it taken down to the coast right after Katrina of uh, frozen meals. But the problem was there was no electricity. So one, you couldn't cook the meals and there was no way to freeze them. So $60,000 worth of food just rotted right there along the side of the road. And you could look to India after the 2004 tsunami where there's these images of where you just see clothes scattered everywhere along the beach because people sent clothes they didn't need. Or another example would be uh, over in Alaska. A friend of mine did some research there way back when the Exxon Valdez oil spill happened. And he actually had stories of where people had sent barrels full of swimsuits to Alaska in January. Oh my gosh. Right. So, so don't just give what you have laying around or what you think is going to help. You know, ask the person that's been impacted, what is it you need for me right now? And no matter how small it is, do your best to fulfill that. There's nothing beneath you. You know, if they ask for a cup of water, give them a cup of water.
3: You know, I've I've got a story about that with um the hurricane Hurricane Michael that hit the the panhandle this year. Um, you know, people uh, – we had people wanting to send clothes and mm, what they kept mm-hmm. telling us is every roof has been blown off. We can't store clothes anywhere. Like they're just going to get wet. They're just going to get – you know, that we, we don't have a place for them. So, understanding the needs is, is very important because you think you're going to do something good and all that you're doing is actually making things worse um, mm-hmm. by sending them things they don't need. Um, and I know, I know people m- mean altruistically and I, I don't want it to diminish the desire oh, to, yeah. to help – I mean, you certainly don't want to dampen those spirits, but yeah, always ask, you know, find somebody on the ground, boots on the ground, like, what do you need? What can we do? And we found that like some of the biggest needs were like diapers, mm-hmm. you know, just w- w- none of the stores are open. Are the kids, they need diaper changes. They don't have diapers. So it was it was strange, um, you know, the, the kinds of things that they needed. So always ask. Uh, I think that's very good advice.
0: Yeah, and, and those needs are typically always changing. You know, whenever I deploy with a team on the ground after disaster, I always tell them, so here's our plan. But no, it's going to be completely out the window before we eat lunch today. You know, that's just going to be changing because the needs are changing. And then when it comes to helping people, maybe through a personal disaster, be mindful. It's not just about making mistakes or doing the wrong thing, but sometimes it's about what we don't do that sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed or maybe we actually freeze up because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing, and then we end up not reaching out to those who need our assistance. But please know that your presence will say more to people and speak more deeply than any words you'll ever say. So just show up and be there for them.
2: So, Jamie, be- before we go, I, I want to talk a little bit about your book. You wrote this book, came out in January of this year, called A Walking Disaster. Um, about sort of faith and resilience, right? The whole concept and Mm -hmm. and man, it's got some great endorsements, Philip Yancey and our buddy Ed Stetzer and and some others who have endorsed it. Talk to us a little bit about the book and why it's going to be helpful for people who are trying to walk with Jesus. Yeah, you know, when disasters happen, whether they're a mass disaster or a
0: personal disaster, they can not only impact us physically or emotionally, but also spiritually. And that's when we need to cling to our faith the most. But I also know from a firsthand experience that that can be hard. And so in the book, I try to be vulnerable with the, the readers about the ups and downs that I experienced, about the ways that I saw some of the research that I had um, conducted and other places play out in my own life to help me understand how to walk through challenges more, more faithfully. But also it's a good resource, I think, for individuals who maybe have somebody in their life who's hurting and want to know how do I come alongside them?
2: That's good news, man. I love that idea. And I think it's going to be helpful for, um, for folks to do. And it's a pretty good deal right now on Amazon for 10 bucks. That's a fantastic sort of deal. So <laughs> go run and get it, grab it and help it uh, and use it to see if, if the Lord uses
1: it to help your faith. Hey, before we close out, Jamie, how can other listeners, you know, get,
0: get a hold of you or follow you? How can they connect more with you? Sure. Um, people can reach out to me on Twitter. So I'm, I'm pretty active. I was complaining this morning about waking up too early and too many emails. Um, but I do uh-huh. also post some hope helpful things, um, in addition to that. Um, and then also at my website, jamieayton.com. Oh, fantastic. And Sam Jamie, thank you about, for, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say you
3: close us out. Well, I can, I can do that. And I'll just wait. Thank you, Jamie, for, for joining us. And and really, I'm just so impressed that the word disaster is in his title. It's an, it's part of his official <laughs> title. And that, that may be the, the most uh, impressive thing that I've ever seen in somebody's title. So, I I, I, uh, I applaud you for being able to pull that one off. But I also want to let our listeners know about the 5LQ podcast with Todd Adkins and Daniel M. It is a great podcast. It's part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Um, they've interviewed all sorts of leaders like Scott Sauls and Paul Tripp and Russell Moore. Um, they've also done uh, recently some book breakdowns on uh, books like The Advantage and The Four Disciplines of Execution. So just go look up five leadership questions on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe today there. I know that they'll appreciate you listening. It is a good podcast. You won't regret it. So, that's, that's Josh, the I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna, you do. You usually do the outro, Josh. I'm gonna let I you. Do. I do. I'm gonna that's let you do your thing have for
1: today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for, for to Jamie for being on. Hopefully, my voice will be back next time, and uh, and you'll listen and subscribe. Appreciate it. See you next week.
3: You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the
0: established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.